Wash me in mercy. Lift up your voice and thank him today. He's worthy of that praise. He's worthy that we would lift our voice and thank him. and every one of you here in the house of the Lord with us this morning. We're glad that you made the decision to be here. It's a good decision. And I am more convinced than ever that God wants to do something great in this service today. I don't want to go into the details, but the enemy already showed his hand. He's scared. He's been fighting hard this morning. He tried to get us distracted. He tried to get us flustered. But we're not. We're here in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our God is here. And he's going to do something great. He's going to do something great in my life. He's going to do something great in your life. Look to your neighbor and tell him, he's going to do something great in my life today. I dive into the word of the Lord this morning. I do want to uh, give our church a quick update. Pastor Landtroop is home from the hospital. We are thankful for that. And we anticipate him being back in service with us next Sunday morning. We're looking forward to that. You are a guest here. Pastor Landtroop is the lead pastor of the Pentecostals here. We love him dearly and we appreciate his leadership. And he recently had to undergo a surgery, but the prognosis at this point is very optimistic. We're expecting God to continue to heal him through a full recovery. He does have some follow-up uh, steps to go through, but God's been with him thus far and God's going to continue to strengthen him and restore him 100%. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, if you would turn to the book of Judges, chapter number one, we'll take our text from there this morning. If you do not have your Bible with you, uh, it will be on the screen. We're going to begin in Judges chapter one and verse four. And Judah went up and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. And they slew of them in Bezek 10,000 men. And they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek. And they fought against him. And they slew the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But Adonai Bezek fled. And they pursued after him and caught him and cut off his thumbs 
and his great toes. Not a pretty picture. Verse 7, And Adonai Bezek said, Three score and ten kings, having their thumbs and their great toes cut off, gathered their meat under my table. As I have done, so God hath requited me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. Would you lift up your voice with me, and let's ask the Lord to have his way through the rest of the service. Lord, we are so thankful for what we feel in this place already. Thankful that your presence is here. Thankful that we have your word that can speak to us today. I ask that you would anoint the remainder of this service. Anoint me to present this message according to your will and according to your purpose. Let every heart be prepared to receive it. Let us receive it with gladness of heart. Let us act upon it. Let faith rise in this place. Let expectation increase. Let us fix our eyes completely, totally, wholeheartedly upon you and allow you to do that which only you can do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Our text this morning occurs just after Joshua, who was Moses' successor, has died. The children of Israel have not yet conquered all of the promised land. The Lord told them, I'm not going to do it all at once, lest the land become desolate and overgrown. So we're going to do it bit by bit, little by little. And so they've not yet conquered all of the promised land. And here we read about Judah. And if you look back a few verses, you'll see that Judah had asked the tribe of Simeon to go with them. And here they are continuing the conquest against the Canaanites and the Perizzites. They are continuing to follow through in their pursuit of obtaining God's promise to them to inhabit the land and to drive out the inhabitants of the land from before them. But in this narrative of this specific encounter, we read about a man named Adonai Bezek, a man who himself had fought many battles, and he had won many battles. He confesses to his captors that he had 70 kings whose thumbs and big toes he had cut off, who were crawling around under his table, gathering crumbs and scraps from the floor for their food. What utter humiliation, what disgrace, what shame and sense of incessant defeat these 70 kings must have felt day after day, week after week, month after month. The text doesn't tell us how long it took Adonai Bezek to accumulate these 70 trophies under his table. The text doesn't give us the names of these 70 kings or what kingdoms they had previously ruled. It simply tells us that they had been reduced to the status of a beggar. But kings shouldn't live like beggars. And that's what I want to speak to you about this morning. These men had once lived in luxury, surrounded by servants who would carry out their every whim. These men had once lived in palaces, in opulence, protected by their vast armies, parading about in their glory. We don't know what happened that led them into the battles that brought about their defeat, their downfall, their demise. We don't know if it was arrogance or complacency that opened the door for Adonai Bezek 
to overcome them in battle. All we are really told about these 70 kings is that they gathered their meat under his table. If strangers were invited to dine with Adonai Bezek, they would never know these 70 men had been kings unless he told his guests so. To look at them now, you wouldn't see anything notable. You wouldn't see anything majestic or noble. You would only see what appeared to be common beggars. I imagine Adonai Bezek quite enjoyed revealing their true identity to his guests. I imagine he relished the opportunity to laugh at them, to mock them, to ridicule them to his guests. I don't think it's incomprehensible or too far-fetched to imagine Adonai Bezek pointing to his trophies while he recounted the particular military tactics and strategies he used to conquer each of them. Do you think it's possible that Adonai Bezek may have on occasion intentionally dropped one of the choicest morsels of food from the table just to watch these kings turned beggars fight one another to see who would get it. But kings shouldn't live like beggars. Kings should live with dignity. Kings should live with honor. Kings should live representatively of their rights and privileges as kings. But most assuredly, kings shouldn't live like beggars. It doesn't take much persuasion or coercion to bring us to the conclusion that Adonai Bezek was not a good man. He was not a godly man. He certainly was not a merciful man. When I read about Adonai Bezek, I see a harsh, wicked, and cruel man. When I read about this level of degradation and humiliation these 70 men endured, it immediately reminds me of someone Adonai Bezek reminds me of the world, the flesh, and the devil. He reminds me of the enemies of our soul. He reminds me of those things that try to rob us of our rights and privileges. The things that try to rob us of our dignity. The things that try to enslave us and cause us to live like beggars fighting for crumbs and scraps. But you and I were not created to be beggars. We were created in the image of God. We were made in His likeness. Have we made mistakes? Yes. Have we done things that were wrong, unholy, ungodly, sinful? Yes. Have we all sinned and come short of who we were originally created to be? Yes. But through the new birth, we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Through the grace of God, we repent of those past sins and failures. We get baptized by immersion in water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we receive the gift of God's Holy Spirit in filling us. And we're no longer sinners condemned by our unrighteous acts of the past, but we are changed. Old things are passed away. All things are made new. And we are made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus through this process of being born again of the water and of the Spirit. If you've never experienced that in your life, Previously, I challenge you, don't leave here today until you've been born again of water and of spirit. 
Because when we're born again of the water and of the Spirit, we receive the Spirit of adoption. We are made sons and daughters of God, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. We are made kings and priests in the kingdom of God, and kings shouldn't live like beggars. As kings and priests in the kingdom of God, as sons and daughters of God, as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus, we have been granted certain rights and privileges, and we ought not give up those rights and privileges to our enemies. We ought not allow our enemies to convince us to live below those rights and privileges. As believers, we shouldn't be living paycheck to paycheck spiritually. Hello? As believers, we shouldn't be living below the spiritual poverty line. We shouldn't be trying to survive on spiritual crumbs and scraps. But unless you know who you are, and unless you know what belongs to you, unless you know and act upon your rights and privileges as a believer, that's exactly where you're going to find yourself, living spiritually paycheck to paycheck, living below the poverty line, crawling around trying to gather up crumbs and scraps. But kings shouldn't live like beggars. When God redeemed us from sin and death, he didn't skimp on the price. Hello? He didn't ask for a coupon code. He didn't look for a discount. He paid the full price. He paid a high price. He paid a debt that you and I could never pay. And he did it so that you could not only have life, but that you could have life more abundantly. He paid the ultimate price. We don't have a thrift store salvation. We don't have a discount clearance bin redemption. I've been bought with a price. You've been bought with a price. You see, his blood was not just blood of another spotless lamb, but his blood was precious blood, for it washed the sins of man. And his blood heals my body, and it sets my spirit free. And I'm so glad his precious blood still flows from Calvary. The Apostle John, in his first epistle, in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, writes, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, why would he say that? Because he knew we weren't perfect. He knew we wouldn't always get it right. He knew we would stumble and fall. And so he wrote, If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He paid the price, and everything he paid for is ours. And I don't know about you this morning, but I want it all. I want it all. I want all the rights and privileges his precious blood paid for. I want all the rights and privileges that his sacrifice made available for me. If he says I'm a king, then why would I ever settle for living like a beggar? If he says I'm his son, then why would I ever live like an orphan? If he says that it's his good pleasure to give me his kingdom, then why would I live like I'm trespassing where I don't belong? And yet that's how many Christians are living. Many are living like an orphan, like someone whose father gave them life but then abandoned them to go through it alone. 
Many are living like a trespasser. Oh, yes, you're here. You're in church services, but you're still living like, thinking like, acting like you don't belong here. I'm telling you, you do belong here. You're not here by accident or happenstance. You're here because this is exactly where you belong. It's not enough to just be here. It's not enough to just be alive. It's not enough to just be born again. These 70 kings in our text were alive. They were in the palace. They were at the table. But Adonai Bezek made sure they knew they didn't belong there. He made sure they were trapped in shame, humiliation, and defeat. They were kings living like beggars. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be said of you. Don't let that be true of you. Know who you are. Know your rights and your privileges. Know your birthright. Defend and protect what God has made available to you. You are kings and priests, sons and daughters, heirs and joint heirs. You shouldn't live like a beggar. You need to tap into all that your father has purchased for you. You need to access your birthright in the spirit. You need to tap into your rights and privileges. What rights and privileges, you ask? How about the right and privilege of prayer? As a born-again believer, as a son or daughter of God, you have the right, the privilege of direct communication with the almighty, all-knowing, all-wise creator of everything that is seen and unseen, everything that is visible and invisible. The one who created the universe. The one who hung the moon and the stars. The one who's told the oceans, you can only go this far. You have the right and the privilege of having conversations with him. And it can be as formal as informal as you want. It can be as deep or shallow as you want. It can be as often or as seldom as you want. How far you go in prayer how meaningful those conversations become is up to you. Hello? It's up to you. He gave you the right and the privilege of having access to him directly. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly. Somebody say come boldly. Come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Come boldly. You have access. He's available. You don't have to approach him groveling and pleading and sniveling and cowering. You're not a beggar. You're his son. You're his daughter. You're a king. And kings shouldn't live like beggars. You have the right and privilege of prayer. Don't ignore that. Don't neglect that. Prayer is part of your inheritance. God made it available to you. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel had to approach God through the Levites and the sons of Aaron. And there was a thick veil in the tabernacle and later in the temple that separated mankind from the holy presence of God. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross, offering himself as the ultimate and final atonement for sin, that 
thick veil was rent in two from top to bottom. You've got access. There's no longer a barrier keeping you from getting into the presence of God. You don't need to have a crowd. You don't need to have a preacher there for you to get into the presence of God. Prayer is your right. Prayer is your privilege. Defend that right. Defend that privilege. Make it a priority because you shouldn't live like a beggar. As a born-again believer, as heirs and joint heirs, as sons and daughters, as kings and priests, you have the right and the privilege to promises. God has promises that are available to you. It's part of your inheritance. Don't let the enemy lie to you and say that's not for you. Oh, he'll give that to so-and-so, but he would never do that for you. It's your right. It's your inheritance. And God had men write those promises down so that you would not forget them. So that you can know exactly what those promises are. So that you can teach your children and your children's children what those promises are. They're recorded for your benefit. They're right there in the Word of God to be handed down from generation to generation. You see, the promises are forever settled. Heaven and earth will pass away, but those promises belong to you forever. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. In the King James it reads, For all the promises of God, in Him are yea, and in Him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. What's that saying? Well, the NIV reads like this, For no matter how many promises God has made, doesn't matter how many promises you find in the book, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him, through our relationship with him, through us becoming one in Christ, through baptism, through taking on his name, through the infilling of his spirit. The amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. You don't have to beg God for those promises in your life. It's your birthright. He's already granted them to you. Your job is to say amen to the promises. Your job is to say, so let it be in my life to the promises. Your job is to say yes to the promises of God. There's no begging there's no pleading there's no bartering god if you'll do this i'll do that you don't need to do that the promises are your birthright the promises are your right and privilege you're a beneficiary of god's promises you're not a beggar so stop living like one god's word the bible it's God's covenant with mankind. It's very similar to a trust. In a trust, there is a grantor or a benefactor who puts into the trust provisions for the benefit of the grantees or the beneficiaries. God is our benefactor. He is our grantor. We are the beneficiaries or the grantees. Trusts have trust agreements which outline the grantor's conditions that must be met by the beneficiaries in order for those things provided by the grantor to be appropriated by the beneficiaries. The Word of God is our trust agreement. In the Word of God, it lists out everything God has provided for us as His heirs, along with the conditions that allow those benefits to be released into our lives. The promises are your right and privilege, and you can have them all if you meet the conditions outlined in the Word of God. You can't find out what the promises are without spending time in the book. You can't come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night and think you're going to get everything that's in this book. 
You've got to dig into it daily for yourself. You've got to get in there and find it for yourself. You've got to speak it into your life for yourself. Begging won't help you here. Pleading won't help you here. Groveling, bartering with God will not help you here. They are yours already for the taking. So stop living like a beggar and start living like an heir. Find the promises. Fulfill your part of the promise and God will fulfill his. Not some of the time, not part of the time, but all the time. God will fulfill his end of the deal. He will fulfill his word. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to question. You don't have to doubt. You can believe. It's your right. It's your privilege. We have the right and privilege to prayer. We have the right and privilege to promises. We also have the right and privilege to God's divine protection. You have access to the whole armor of God found in Ephesians chapter 6. You have access to the breastplate of righteousness. You have access to the shield of faith. You have access to the helmet of salvation. Psalm 91 says that you don't have to be afraid. No evil shall befall you. No plague will come near your dwelling place. God will give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. It also says that God will deliver you. He will be with you in trouble. He will answer you when you call upon him. He will deliver you and honor you. And with long life, he will satisfy you and show you his salvation. Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. It's your birthright. It belongs to you. It's your heritage. Divine protection is your right and privilege. For we are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood and holy nation. We're sons and daughters. We are heirs of God, kings and priests. And kings shouldn't live like beggars. I want to be very clear. I'm not talking about a name it and claim it, blab it and grab it fairy tale where I look at God like he's a wish-granting genie. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about grabbing a hold of truth from the word of God and living like you believe God will keep his word. I'm talking about getting your mind right, getting it in alignment with God's word. I'm talking about some of you deciding that you're not going to be the devil's punching bag one more second. I'm talking about some of you deciding that you're sick and tired of being defeated and living your life like some kind of beggar just barely getting by on the crumbs and scraps that life throws on your floor. I'm trying to get somebody to see yourself the way that God sees you. You're the apple of his eye, Psalm 17 and 8. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139 and 13. You are God's image bearer, Genesis 1:26. You're an ambassador for Christ, 2 Corinthians 5 and 20. In 2024, we desperately need to see ourselves the way that God sees us.
If we're going to meet the demands of the hour, if we're going to be the people for such a time as this, then we've got to get a glimpse of ourselves. We've got to grab a hold of the truth of who God says we are and what God says is ours and not let the enemy of the world, the flesh, or the devil rob us of it. Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. John writes, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I didn't just make up that phrase this morning. The word of God says he's made us kings and priests and kings shouldn't live like beggars. There's one other portion of our inheritance, one other aspect of our rights and privileges, and I'm not saying I'm covering them all today, but there's one more that I would like to bring to your attention before I close out today's message. As a believer, yes, we have the right and privilege to prayer. Yes, we have the right and privilege to promises. Yes, we have the right and privilege to divine protection. We also have the right and privilege to power. God would not leave his sons and daughters powerless, knowing that we would be in a constant battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. God wouldn't leave the kings and priests of his kingdom powerless to defend themselves, powerless to defeat our enemies. He has given us the right and the privilege to power. Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus speaking, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing somebody say nothing shall by any means somebody say any means hurt you you've got the right the privilege to divine power acts 1 and 8 but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. You think the Holy Ghost is optional? You think the Holy Ghost is just an add-on for some people? It says he'll give you power after the Holy Ghost comes on you. If you ain't got the Holy Ghost, you ain't got much power. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you don't have what you need. You've left part of your inheritance on the table for the enemy. It's not optional, it's mandatory. If the spirit that was in Christ is not in you, then that spirit cannot raise you up at the trumpet. It cannot translate you. It's the spirit of Christ in you that's going to get you out of here. Romans chapter 8, verse 31, the latter portion of that verse says, If God be for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? 1 John 4, 4, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We have the right and privilege to power. God's made it available to us. When he filled us with his spirit, he put power in us. God's church is not defeated. God's church isn't just barely hanging on. God's church isn't powerless. We are the church triumphant. We are the church victorious. We're overcomers. We're more than conquerors because we have power. One of the greatest sources of power that we can tap into, 
This is so important. I don't want you to miss this. One of the greatest sources of supernatural power that we as born-again believers can tap into and access and release into our lives and into our community is each other. Look at your neighbor and tell them, you're my greatest resource for supernatural power. It didn't look like they believed you. Tell them again. You're my greatest resource for supernatural power. How can you make that claim, Pastor Barber? How can you say that? Well, Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, Jesus speaking. If I'm going to believe the words of anyone, I'll take the words of Jesus. He said, again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Our greatest source of supernatural power is when we lay aside our differences, we lay aside our egos, and we join together with one another in agreement. I'm not going to do a long, drawn-out altar call this morning. I'm going to keep it brief and give you instructions on what this altar call is going to look like. If you'll stand with me this morning, we're going to move right into the end of the service. We're going to give you opportunity today to take action on the Word of God. That's what altar call is all about. I heard the Word. Did I receive it with gladness? Am I going to just be a hearer this morning, or am I going to be a doer of the Word? If you're here today and you've never repented of your sins or you've never been baptized by immersion in water, having the name of the Lord Jesus Christ called over you, or you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost with the sign of speaking a language you never learned naturally as the Spirit of God prompts you what to say, I'm going to ask you to come to the front left side of the altar over by our baptistry. We're going to have ministry team members there who are ready to assist you. They're there to answer questions you might have. You say, well, I want to repent, but I don't know how to do that. I don't know what to say. I've been carrying around guilt and shame, and I want to let go of it today. They can guide you through a prayer of repentance. They can help you to understand that. If you don't understand baptism, they can answer your questions about baptism. They can show you in the Word of God where baptism is not just a good add-on, but absolutely required. And it matters how you're baptized. Every convert in the New Testament, every instance you see anybody baptized, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, or maybe it's been a long time. Maybe you received it as a kid and it's been a long time and you want God to fill you anew and afresh. I want you to come to this side. Allow this ministry team to help you, to minister to you, to be a part of you being born again of water and of spirit because that's your priority. Your priority is to get into the kingdom. If you want the rights and the privileges, get into the kingdom. Jesus said if you're not born again of water and of spirit, you can't see the kingdom. So we want to make sure we've got people here for you. And so when we, in a moment, invite you to come, that's where I want you to come. It can be any of those. It can be all of those. We're ready to minister today. We're ready to help you. We want to see you born again, a new creature. Old things passed away. All things made new. Everyone else who's here today, this is going to be very different. I understand that. 
But if you just heard the word today and you didn't do anything, it really didn't help you much. And so for everyone else here, I want you to find one other person, not two people, not three people, not four people, one other person, not your spouse, not your best friend, not somebody you're necessarily already comfortable with. I want you to find one other person and I want each of you to share with each other the most urgent need in your life. It could be for healing. It could be financial provision. It could be for the salvation of a lost loved one. Whatever the most urgent need in your life, I want you to share with one another. And then I want you together, the two of you, to pray the prayer of faith and enter into agreement that God's going to answer that prayer. Hello. We're accessing that power today. We're not going to let go of our rights and privileges. It's the greatest source of supernatural power he gave us. If two of you would agree, touching anything that they ask, it'll be done. So pray a prayer of faith. Tap into the word of God. You need healing. There's plenty of scriptures that back that up. By his stripes, we were healed. He sent his word and healed them all. You need financial provision. There's scriptures for that. My God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory. I've been young, now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging for bread. He owns the cattle on a thousand hill. Ask and it shall be given. Hello, I mean, there's plenty of scriptures for you to tap into. Scriptures for lost loved ones. It's not the will of God that any man should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Come on. We're talking about tapping into our rights and privileges, tapping into our birthright, tapping into the trust agreement. And tapping into one-on-one in agreement. So they're beginning to play. We invite you to come. Whatever your need is, if you want to agree in the aisles, I understand. That's fine. You can agree out there in the pews. I don't care. But if you want to repent, you need to get baptized. You need the Holy Ghost. I want you to come up here. You can come to the front and enter into agreement. But let's shake the, the gates of hell today with the power of God. Let's allow God to do something wonderful. of God that's still inside the storm if you don't know any scriptures to tap into tap into the one that says God you said if two of us would agree on anything you would do it so we're agreeing today we're agreeing that you're going to move in this situation we're agreeing that you're going to heal this person you're going to bring the provision that's needed you're going to save this person beyond the 